Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Page Tune with P.L. Stewart. And we are here today with two awesome authors. Well, three awesome authors, kind of P.L. But uh, we're here with uh, Christopher Russell and Jeff Spite. So, Jeff and Christopher, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure to be here, Steve. Yeah, thanks for having us. So, uh, Christopher and Jeff, do you want to tell us a little bit about your, your books and uh, kind of your work? Christopher, go ahead. Oh, I was literally going to try to turn it over to you. <laughs> Perfect. So I'm Christopher Russell. I'm author of Devaney's Twilight Rebirth and its sequel, Devaney's Twilight Remnant. Up, oh, Peel's got one right there. The, the sequel's coming out September 14th. And it is a steampunk epic fantasy with a lot of focus on tech, a lot of focus on uh, military fantasy. But it's essentially the story of a group of eight military cadets who are forced on the run after a tragic mistake by their ancestors rears its ugly head in the present. Uh, and so there, it's also going to be in a combined universe. There's going to be a lot of spinoffs related to that. But if you like hard magic systems, if you like a lot of uh, snark between the main cast, if you like a lot of uh, sword and sorcery and military aspects, that'll be right up your alley. Very uh, Brand Sanderson Cosmere-ish. Awesome. Uh, I'm Jeff Spate, author of Paladin Unbound. Um, first in a trilogy of the Archives of Evelium. Uh, we follow uh, Umar the Peacebreaker, a, a half-orc mercenary, as he's kind of forced to make a very tough decision about unveiling the past that he uh, has kept very carefully hidden in order to go on and uh, save uh, his world and, uh, and his friends. So um, the second book, uh, Mystic Reborn, uh, hopefully will be out uh, early next year, uh, maybe April timeframe. So we'll see. Wow. I know I'm looking forward to that one, too. Uh, Jeff and I recently joined a writing group together, so everybody's hurriedly reading through everybody's back catalogs. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I think Steve's TBR is groaning, groaning again as he, he starts to add your books to it. So I'm lucky. I already have both of them, so, and they're, they're going to be uh, read at some point this year. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to do that, especially uh, – your intro to your work only pumped me up even more. Oh, whoa, there we go. <laughs> he pulls out the deep cut right from his uh, second shelf there. Yeah, it's on my it's on my TBR on my TBR shelf. Just it never gets any smaller. Yeah, <laughs> see, the whole thing is his TBR shelf. That's not what it, that's what he's not giving away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is really. <laughs> so so uh, gentlemen, uh, so we are. Oh, there's. Laura Lullaby is one of our faves. Howdy, Lana. Hey, Laura. Yeah. Nice to see a comment. Yeah, I, I know that we've talked to you a bit on Instagram and maybe Twitter. Oh. Oh. Andrew's right here. Uh, book oh, there is on, right. yeah. Hey, Dave. What's up? And all yeah, of Mr. Mr. Philip Ooh, Chase. Oh, honored. Yeah, yeah. Big. Yeah. You guys are drawing a crowd. Yeah, yeah look at this. Nancy, yeah. Hey, Crystal. Us, you, everyone. <laughs> All right, see, fantastic. Um, so, um, so we are all four of us in some form indies, you know, booktubers, writers. Or, so uh, you're both uh, indie authors with, you know, again, great readership, some awards, you know, some, uh, you know, like, what do you think of the indie scene? Like, now that you're part of it and you're immersed of it, what do you think of the indie scene? Booktubers, uh, indie writers, you know, indie poets. Like, what's you know, how are you? How are you judging the landscape now? Uh, the indie landscape now that you're 
kind of immersed in it. Yeah, I, go, oh, ahead. go ahead, Jeff. No, go ahead, Christopher. <laughs> well, the best way to judge this is probably to take it from an outsider's perspective from the very beginning. Um, I grew up just going to Barnes and Noble, picking up books off the shelf, and that was the main way that I got all my reading done. If it wasn't in Barnes and Noble, I didn't, I didn't think it exists. I didn't even go to Amazon anywhere else. And so I was very much a trad author until I started looking at publishing books myself. And I ended up going with a, a small imprint, mainly for the, them being able to produce my physical copies. Uh, ebook and everything else is is effectively indie or self-published, whatever way you want to look at that. And it's just incredible the, the amount of networking and marketing there is in this sphere, um, that there's a lot of legwork. Of course, trad authors have to put in that same amount of time unless they're at the, they're at the top of the list like Brandon Sanderson. But I've met so many incredible people. Um, I didn't know uh, BookTube was a thing. I didn't know Bookstagram was a thing. Um, I didn't know that you could put book in front of literally anything and make it a thing in the indie community. <laughs> but no, so many great and incredible people, so much support, and I'm just really happy to have this community. I, I don't think I'd want to publish any other way now. Yeah, and just to add to that, I would say um, yeah, I can't think of a time where there's been more quality product coming out of you know an indie scene i mean this is just fantastic the amount of uh you know uh, content that's coming out both from the authors and from the youtubers and you know booktubers and and, and bloggers and everything it's it's fantastic and it's also uh such a supportive community um it really is like you know uh rarely do you bump into anybody who isn't willing to step up and and help you out or have a conversation or or whatever so it's it's been fantastic to become a part of the, the indie book community yeah it's awesome and, and part of this is is you folks uh coming on here oh what was that jeff oh uh, th thank you jeff for making the book on kindle free for its anniversary you're welcome my pleasure happy happy anniversary. Yeah, yeah thank you oh philip chase yeah very mm -hmm. supportive community time. what do you have think you seen some of the amazing covers in the past uh couple of years Everything just seems to have amazing art these yeah. days. Um, we have Felix Ortiz and a bunch of other mm. people that are doing great work. Yeah, yeah. I spell Jared. Hello, everyone. What do you think, Steve, about the whole, uh, you know, especially for the BookTube side, where you see it's going? Every day I, I see these new amazing, my, my, my BookTube list just keep, like, I just keep adding people. <laughs> like, I don't know, I'm going to watch all this stuff, but I yeah. see, oh, it's like, i to add this. And... I can't keep up. There's so many of them, yeah. Another another great supportive community too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, speaking of covers, what what went into covers for both of your books? How did you decide on a cover? Did you look for an artist, or what was that process like? Um, I actually have a fairly interesting story about that. So, um, a couple months before Paladin Unbound was set to be published, um, the person that was supposed to deliver the cover was unable to. And so I had to make some very quick adjustment with my publisher and everything uh, to uh, to find a, a cover that would work. And so um, I reached out to to Zach Argyle and asked him, you know, how his experience had been with his uh, cover artist, who I thought was doing fantastic work. He does Patrick Stampfire's books and and, and stuff as well. And so uh, I reached out to Omer Brockonal and. Uh, he was able to accommodate me and get a cover done uh, really quickly uh, under the gun. Uh, he had COVID in the middle of it as well. I mean, it was, you know, it was just, a, it was a total mess, but it came together great. I probably ended up with a better cover than I would have ever had otherwise and, and uh, you know, couldn't have it any other way. So. <laughs> I love PL. <laughs> 
<laughs> Agree with you there, Christopher. Mm -hmm. So on my side, again, interesting story. Um, I've always loved, um, I, you're gonna, probably going to hear me mention his name another six to 12 times, which is Brandon Sanderson, because I'm very heavily influenced by the Cosmere, hard magic systems, et cetera. Uh, even though I didn't start reading him till 2019, which is after I had already written book one. So weird confluence of the minds and everything. But um, his Mistborn series, and I love the positioning of the characters on. I thought, well, this is sort of an 80s, 90s style fa uh, fantasy style. You have the characters on the front, and you have a, a backdrop that hints at what the story is going to be, the setting of the book. And that's what I ended up with, Divinity's Twilight Birth. And I said, well, who did that for Brandon Sanderson? And I went through and looked up and found out it was Chris McGrath. And I thought, uh, oh, surely he he's too invested in doing uh, trad art. Uh, surely that he's too busy to take on indie work. And I just thought, well, I'm just going to shoot an email to him, uh, get shot down, and, and then move on with my life and find somebody else. Well, no, he actually was interested in doing it and that he has indie pricing. So I, I was really surprised mm -hmm. by that. And so this is actually a Chris McGrath cover, uh, same guy that did uh, Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn covers up through the Wax and Wayne ones, the new ones that's coming out. And then it, it's done all the work for Jim Butcher and a bunch of other people. And um, he actually emailed me um, probably three months after this came out and said, wow, the art that I did for this isn't the most popular art on my website. And so um, I don't know if I've have I don't think I have book two cover art around here. Otherwise, I'd show it to you, um, not within easy reach. But another person I want to plug really quickly is um, Raphael Lucini, who is doing interior work for book two. And so he's actually really affordable for indies. So another great guy to look uh, look up. You feel free to send me a message, and I can put you in touch with him. But his work is fantastic. Yeah, that's a great piece. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's amazing. All right, well we'll get we'll get one just for just for we'll get one more close up of that cover because it is beautiful. When I saw it, I was like, wow, it is it is it is gorgeous. So, um, and I just you know, how does it feel? I mean, and and I'm gonna go back track to this this point later we talked about self-pub you do realize that brandon sanderson is technically self yes, technically, yep. mm -hmm. stuff now so i mean <laughs> and now you know you have you know christopher one of his cover artists like you know where i'm going back to this whole indie thing and now i want to add in the trad thing where is this going this indie trad is 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 the industry just merging and plumbing into one is one disappearing is one just getting more prominent like what like, like what's happening here where, you know, uh, Christopher can go get Brandon Sanders' cover artist and like, like what, like what's happening? Uh, Jeff thoughts or? Uh, yeah, it's, it's complicated, but I, it, the gap is definitely narrowing. And I think it's because um, you're seeing more and more um, indie published, you know, product being recept received well in the community and, and getting notoriety and, and uh, readership. And so, that will attract better artists and you know better support you know around them and so i think that's help, helping narrow the gap between the two it's not just the, the big publishers that that can get that kind of access anymore uh, basically what i think you're seeing in the industry and you've probably heard this before is that what traditional publishing thought of as the midlist is moving into indie because you can you can make more money you can get a better following uh, than if you have to do all your work to get on shelves in barnes and noble um, I know that because my publisher is sort of hybrid, 
that there are a bunch of costs involved with getting your product in the right place in Barnes and Noble. You have to pay a co-op to be up at the front with your new hardcover. You have to pay a co-op to be on the tables as you enter a door. So there's a lot of fees that publishers don't want to shell out for people that they don't think are going to sell as well, which is why the mid-listers go straight to the back. They go straight to the fantasy sci-fi section. And so they're not going to be as visible there. And so those people go into the mid-list. They go to emerging uh, organizations like the Broken Binding. They go to people that are going to be able to put their hardcovers and paperbacks and sign copies directly in people's hands. And then they go and put their ebooks out on, uh, again, with Amazon and Kindle, you have the, the self-publishing boom. And like Jeff said, that you have a bunch of quality product. And so the stigma is starting to fall away. And therefore, you're going to see sort of this muddying middle ground where I think trad is only going to be focused on bestsellers and everything else will slip through the cracks and we're going to pick up a lot more contemporaries. I think it's a very astute observation there. Um, you know, and I, and I see that trend more and more. And for me being um, indie published, like, you know, so in Canada, Chapters Indigo, essentially, I mean, Barnes and Nobles is here, but more online presence mm -hmm. in Canada, but uh, Chapters Indigo is the big monopoly bookstore in Canada, so you know, and 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 I had to go and basically bag on my hands and knees to get, um, you know, my books in limited stores mm -hmm. in my area, wide geographical area, mind you, but still, you know, and of course, you know, straight to the back, right to the, I, you know, I, for me it was a big deal when, you know, they just to kind of as a as a, I guess as a kindness, and because I'd sold a couple of books, they actually put me in the best sci-fi to give me a little boost, right, and that was like huge for me. Right. And, you know, but that's but but that's uh, my friends that are that are indeed more and more. We're seeing that. I think both of you are on Broken Binding as well. Are right, both of you on yep. Broken Binding as well? Yep. So am I. So uh, I'm going to have stuff coming out with them in a few months. Oh, fantastic. That's fantastic. And yeah, they are definitely shout out to Broken Binding. They mm -hmm. they are they are definitely uh, becoming very prominent on the scene and they're stalking, um, you know, indie and trad. But then you're seeing people like Ryan Cahill outside. <laughs> Most of the trad authors on, on mm -hmm. well, Kale's not saying a lot of people, but you know what I mean. It's just you know it, it yeah the, it really has been uh, quite the the revolution mm -hmm. uh, within the industry, you know. Which it's interesting because um so you have Broken Binding and then you have Amazon. I'd say that within the industry, those are your two main places that you go to for books, and that Barnes and Noble and all these other companies didn't innovate fast enough in order to fill that niche. And that broken binding, um, I know I've talked to at least one of the owners, but they saw a need before it actually became a need and they, they were able to get ahead of the market. It, it's really fascinating if you start to get down to the nitty gritty. Yeah, I think the responsiveness of, of organizations like broken binding, as we all know, trad publishing for all its strengths is very inflexible, and a bit slow, a bit sluggish to respond to certain things, to trends and stuff. So. You know, that's uh, Steve. Where do you get most of your your books these days? Ninety five percent, usually Amazon is where I get most because I read mostly indie books and or from the author's website too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which usually is a, a bit more uh, cash in the pocket for. But yeah, so yeah. thank you for doing that. Yeah. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> try, try to do that when I can. Yeah, we appreciate. It. Uh, Dave <laughs> said, "I'm going to need to quit my job soon to re have time to read them all." Yeah. Can, and uh, Mr. Philip Chase, uh, social media has also made it much easier for people to do the same with, uh, of their marketing. The internet will likely be one of the biggest game changers in the history of storytelling. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Very, yeah, yeah, that's a very, very great, great observation by 
by Dr. Chase, who is one of the brilliant minds out there in uh, the literary world. If you're, you know, watch watch his channel, and uh, you know, uh, he's one of those people that will will dazzle you with uh, with some of his insights into uh, you know. Hey, he put out a uh, review of Paladin Unbound today, actually, and I, hey. I was waiting, waiting on that one. Uh, you know, congratulations. Yeah, it was it was fun. So. Do you bring out charts and figures for that too? <laughs> no, no, but he did do a great thumbnail of uh, his face uh, superimposed over Umar on the cover. So that was oh, that's great. awesome! Yeah, that was great. <laughs> that's awesome. I gotta go watch that after we're done. I, I that's that's awesome. Um, also, I know Jeff is 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 uh, way too humble to mention, but uh, you won a little piece of hardware the other day, didn't you? Uh, well, going back going back a little, I won you know indies today. Uh, um best fantasy of 2021 for that well, so that was that was fun congratulations yeah congratulations thank you what was that experience like um putting in for an award uh you know waiting to see i don't know if there's a short list oh philip chase is giving you some love too thank you so, Phil. yeah what was that like um you know it was it was interesting so you know you you put in for um for like a, a review slash uh the award and uh you know they gave me a very you know complimentary review i was really happy with that and um and then you kind of you just wait because it takes months and months for them to you know cut through everything and for the schedule of the award and so uh you know you just, i just got an email one night and you know you're the winner and it was you know really exciting um i think you have to be careful though because there are a lot of uh, awards out there that are, you know, in it for their own benefit, not for the author's benefit or the community's benefit. And so you have to be selective on which ones you pick to enter and, and how much you allocate towards trying to get into those kind of things. Yeah, no, I agree. Definitely. Um, for some authors, they typically uh, allocate a budget, obviously a, a certain budget, especially indies to marketing. And for some authors, predominantly, most of that budget is, it goes towards awards. They're seeing the bang for the buck, but, uh, Jeffrey is an excellent point that some awards are more credible than others. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, if you stick to the more reputable ones, the ones that come with that certain reputation for excellence, you know, um, there's there's quite a few out there, uh, you know, that that, you know, you'll you, your money will be certainly better served and better, better spread. And in terms of getting the, the real recognition, I mean, you know, getting getting those awards uh, can definitely impact sales and, and exposure in, in a positive way. And, uh, you know, uh, one of those, frankly, um, you know, there's awards like such as SPFPO that are free to enter, you know, extremely prominent now in the indie community. And, you know, think about that, right? I mean, yeah, it's it's for highly competitive and you're, you're, you're but you're definitely getting getting the, the notoriety from putting your book in there. And, uh, you know, that, that's an amazing, um, you know, award setup that they have there. I mean, it's just, it's phenomenal. I mean, it runs all year long. How many is it? What does it start at 300 books or something like that? And cuts, cuts it down. I mean, it's, it's a, it's fantastic. And it's, you know, the fact that everybody's putting in the time and effort to do that, uh, to come up for uh, self-published authors is, is amazing. Oh, the blogs put in a ton of work. I know that oh, yeah. uh, you guys PL with before we go blog that you have what 30 books this year. So you're one of the big blogs, uh, Bookborn's doing it. Um, I'm trying to think of who else in our direct circle. Um, there's Fantasy Faction. There is uh, Book Nest. A um, whole bunch of great people. I don't know if any of the booktubers here are involved in it. 
I mean, yeah. they're watching the podcast. Yeah. Now, Steve, though, uh, and I'll let him talk about more. He's doing some amazing stuff with indies right now. If uh, he oh. wants to mention, I'm sure you two <laughs> yes. are aware about Indie Accords, Steve. Yes, uh, we were doing the Indie Accords this month, and I am a co-captain with Lana from Lauren Lullabies. So we were having a, it's a readathon for the, this month of uh, July. And it's uh, just a fun way to find new books that you haven't read before and lots of trash talk and, uh, <laughs> and some cool prizes at the end for the winning team. There's three different teams. It's not too late to join. So if you're interested, uh, check out that, uh, that site, but yeah, it's gonna, gonna be a fun month. Uh, do you mind if I do a quick plug for another readathon? Of course. So Lore Lullabies is actually part of this. Um, I'm one of the admins over at Indie Fantasy Addicts, a group on Facebook. And for the whole month, for the whole summer, starting June 21st, going through September 21st, we have our summer reading challenge. And so every indie book that you read, so one that is not published by the big five or one of their imprints, and that's primarily self-published or the small imprints, that if you read those, you can get points for submitting a short review onto the Indie Fantasy Addicts Facebook page. And you go through, there's a very easy to follow Google form. There's uh, steps that are pinned up at the top. You'll be able to follow everything. We've made it easy. And at the end, you get tons of free eBooks, tons of free sign books, a bunch of stuff that all the authors have contributed. And there are a bunch of different teams. So the teams compete against each other for glory and, and eternal recognition. And then the individual people that participate get all those wonderful goodies that I mentioned. So you can walk away with a back catalog for next year just for coming and posting all summer. So come check us out at Indie Fantasy Addicts. Awesome. That sounds oh fun. God. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Kudos to you, Christopher. On that, like, yeah, this, 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 uh, this is the kind of stuff that um, you only find in, in the indie mm -hmm. sphere. And it's, you know, I think about that, right? It's just phenomenal. I'm blessed that, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, when you used to play, uh, you know, sports as a kid and, you know, those, and, you know, they, they start picking sides and I, I feel blessed. I was one of the first, I got picked by, by the dark Knights on India court. So I feel, you know, like I finally there was, made it. There was a draft. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody finally picked me. Do you guys me. have fantasy stats? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of trash talking over on the, uh, the, the captains uh, with the India Accord. So there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, uh, a lot of good, all in good fun. Oh yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was wondering, speaking of awards, uh, I wanted to ask Christopher and Jeff about if a new author asks you for advice on, on which, which awards to enter, which to stay away from, what can they look for, for signs that some, it's an award that you can steer clear of? Um, one one thing that's a red flag is the entry fee and how much that how much they're charging for that right um, uh, you know some of them are ridiculously expensive and you have to kind of think of it especially as an indie author as kind of the return on investment right I mean even if you win an, an award that uh, you know costs you X it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to sell you that many more books that it's going to you know work out for you but be nice to have in your, you know, nice feather in your cap, I guess. But at the same time, uh, some of them are just very, very expensive and, and probably not worth going after. Hmm. Um, I, I sourced which ones I would enter by other authors and their experiences and what they thought was useful, what they thought wasn't. And I found that to be the, the best way. I, I, again, going back to the community, it's such a great community. There's no one that's like, you know, this is mine, you know, stay away kind of stuff. So, um, you know, reach out to other author, authors that have that have you know experience have some experience with the award stuff and and uh, see what they say and and which ones they recommend and don't. 
Yeah. Uh, I would say if you're looking at uh, cost effectiveness, um, you need to be able to look at what the return is. So Jeff mentioned that your your main return is going to be on whether or not you think this award is going to get you more views, more clicks, more buys. Um, but I would say that you're looking probably in the fifty to hundred dollar range as as max. If you're if you're going above that, it's not going to be a solid return on investment. You have your free ones. You have SPFBO. If you're lucky enough, like um, I think that uh, Ryan Cahill to be able to get into the Stabbies or other free ones that are big. Um, but that again, that's going to be at your upper end. Um, I personally, so the Osmo Award was very good for me. Um, American Fiction Award, uh, both of those very cost effective. Um, Previous winners of the Osmo were like Robert Zangari, so that's very good for um, epic fantasy and gets a lot of traction. They host an award ceremony, and if you win, you also get a, a, a bit of a prize pool, so you actually make back your entry fee and more. So hmm. you might be looking at return on investment that way. Um, uh, SPFBO, of course, is probably going to be your best one. If you, if you are a finalist for that, um, you're probably very well set. If, if you win it, you, you're probably going to be looked at by trad companies. So they, they, there's a lot of different notoriety. And like Jeff said, the, the main thing that you're looking at with an award is a feather in your cap. Once you have it, not, not to say that you need to win an award, but once you've maybe won one or perhaps two, you may not need any more. You, that you will be able to jumpstart your marketing off just that. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And congratulations, Christopher, for how well you, you've done as well with uh, with uh, awards, et cetera. And, and, oh, and I will mention, PL, there's a lot of luck involved, and you even see that with SPFBO. So uh, have a great cover, have a quality product, but remember that at the end of the day, there are various factors for why one book wins and another book loses. Yeah, and you know, I would piggyback on the whole award discussion that I would add reviews in there. And I'd also add the comment that the 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 um acclaim of of even the review or the review site uh isn't always commensurate with uh you know what your reward because for example you have highly reputable uh review sites uh like kirkus reviews and 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 mm -hmm. clarion for indies who are extreme you know extremely credible and extremely well respected but extremely costly right yes. uh very very costly you know and and but but now you're talking about if when you're when you're doing Kirkus, I mean, I paid for Kirkus, you know, you're talking the 400, you know, dollarish range for a review. Mm -hmm. This isn't for an award submission. This is just for a review. Clarion was even more, I believe it was five at the time. And I said for me to be a one time thing. I was a new author. I, 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 I set that money aside. Uh, you know, I, I looked as an investment that, OK, this is a one time shot. Uh, hopefully I get positive reviews, uh, which I, 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 I largely did, especially for Clarion. And, um, you know, but after that, <laughs> that was it, um, you know, so, so again, you know, those sites are extremely reputable, uh, Kirkus, you know, Kirkus, uh, you know, and I'm not, I'm not disparaging them at all, you know, uh, with all the prestige also comes the fact that, um, you know, you, you, as an indie author, uh, they have an indie section, so it's very segmented. So they don't equate indie authors the same as they do traditionally published authors. So mm -hmm. um, whereas someone like Clarion, they uh, market themselves as an indie uh, review site. Mm -hmm. they, 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 they champion the indies. So, you know, so those are all things you also have to consider. But beyond that, I'd say as a general rule of thumb, uh, don't pay for reviews unless they are someone of that that level um you know you have you know some other fairly reputable places the the readers favorites the readers views and, and things like that but when it gets into the individual uh individual bloggers 
uh, most 99% of reputable bloggers will never charge you for reviews. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? So please don't. <laughs> if you're an indie and you're new to the game, uh, don't pay for reviews uh, unless you're getting them from a Kirkus. Or- I, I will stick a caveat in there that one way that you can do that will be reputable is that you find a service that a lot of authors have used and a lot of them trust. Um, one that's up and coming is Escapist Book Tours. That they have done a lot of good work for a lot of authors, and all of that fun- the, the funding that you pay goes towards organizing it. I don't believe the individual tour stops getting the money, but they get whatever book you send them. So they are so a lot of work goes into it with making graphics, with making interviews and blog posts and stuff like that. And so that's what you're paying for. But you, the individual people are only in it for the book. They want to have something to read, something to enjoy, something to get invested in. So I, I don't know if you, either PL, you or Steve participate with Escapist. Do you? Yeah, I have. Okay, so you agree with that, right? I completely agree. Mm-hmm. I, to- I totally make plug for Escapist and uh, yes. mm-hmm. and uh, and Justin Grossen. And so he, they're fantastic. Um, I want to let Jeff pipe in, but um, I've already toured A Drowned Kingdom with Escapist Tours. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal results. I'm touring the last Atlanteans uh, in the fall with them. Mm-hmm. I expect the same. The, they they have the one thing about escapist is that um primarily i'm not sure if any of you are familiar with uh, the former story tales on tour they yes. were the big uh you know indie fantasy you know tour site um you know they 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 shut down and there's potentially uh, permanently however escapist has certainly stepped into that void mm-hmm. and filled that gap for us so you know and highly highly recommended i see yeah, so so philip is right i was remiss Sorry, Christopher is right. I was remiss in in saying that about someone a blog, a blogging site like like uh, Escapist that offers tours. Mm-hmm. Tours are an amazing way to get reviews, mm-hmm. right? Because they do the work of finding you the bloggers, finding you the roadies, and mm-hmm. so they come to you instead of you having to cold, um, you know, cold call say, "Hey, yes. you review my book." So that's that's you know that's a wonderful story. I want to let. Um, you know, I was just—I was just going to say, especially for a debut indie author who you know might not have a large presence on the the scene yet or anything like that. Um, you know, you spend a lot of time building up relationships with bloggers and and everything. But if, if you're coming right out with your first book, you haven't had that opportunity yet. And so, the blog tours are fantastic. It was it was it was really helpful. I, I was with storytellers and. Um, uh, for Paladin and Bound, it was fantastic. It was it was a wonderful service. I was sorry to see them shut it down, but absolutely, um, you know, good people have, as you said, filled the void. So, oh, excellent, excellent, Steve. What's your uh, do do any of these things change, Steve? Your um, your buying choices in terms of how you select books. If you see, for example, uh, you know, you're on Twitter, you're pretty active. You see a blog tour coming up for 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 someone's book, and you see some reviewers and some booktubers, perhaps that you know, putting positive reviews on the book. And you know, th- does any of this stuff influence you as a reader potentially, or how do you how do you feel about? It? Or do do some of your your friends that that read do they look to this stuff as as being something that could potentially influence their their purchasing choices? I think I'm, I'm sure some of them do. I think it's we're so. There's so many books for us to read that we have to be really choosy about the next book or the, um, you know, kind of what what our schedule is and what we're reading. Because some of it, you know, some booktubers are scheduled for the next year. I mean, they <laughs> plan way ahead. So I'm sure it, it does it does impact some of them. Mostly, what I what I get into is things that are recommended to me or 
um, authors I interact with. I end up put it at the top of my top of my list. So it doesn't affect me too much, but it's mostly word of mouth that I go on now. Yeah, that is, and that also brings you. That thank you, Steve. That's the next point. That brings me to my point about for Christopher and Jeff about social media, and that balance that we all must dance, especially as authors, between using things like social media to market and 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 bring awareness to our writing versus actually writing the damn book, right? I know for me, you know, um, I, I wear a lot of hats. You know, I, I, I consider myself now a blogger. I don't, if you, if, whatever that means, you know, I, 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 I'm fortunate. Steve and I are both blessed to work for the incredible Beth Tabler under Before We Go Blog, their banner. You know, I, I do reviews, you know, I post my Goodreads. I, I try and, you know, do that to help promote authors. And, you know, I'm, I'm an avid reader. So I, you know, it's only, only appropriate that I, I post reviews at how valuable they are. So I love that aspect of giving back. I feel like I'm giving back for all the wonderful things that the community has given me. You know, um, you know, I try to do author interviews on, on my website, six elemental interviews that, you know, and, uh, you know, of course, this has been one of my biggest highlights, the honor of doing page, co-hosting page chewing with Steve on his channel, which also helps promote great authors like yourselves, great creatives, bloggers, YouTubers we interview, you know, but, but of course, I still have books to write and a regular job like he will do and all this stuff. How do you balance, you know, the writing with the other stuff that enriches your whole experience as an author, brings you all these great contexts and connections that can, you know, help you and help get your cover artist, help get you an editor, you know, give you advice, you know, commiserate with when you're down, you know, boost you up, you know, you know, and, and you know, give you a pound of the buck. How do you balance all of that stuff with writing the damn book? Uh, well, for me, they sort of occupy the same headspace. So writing something on social media, planning something on social media will tire me out just as much as writing 3,000 or 4,000 words in a day. So um, I typically either just write or I just do social media. And so like you said, you have to pick one or the other. And so I will often do periods where I just focus on writing and then I will stop writing and focus on social media and I'll bounce back and forth. Um, social media, sometimes it does feel like you're shouting into the void, but you definitely do enjoy all that networking, um, the ability to talk to people like you guys, the ability to, to come on interviews and do things like this. Um, I would say that um, a lot of it, the focus is making it more organic. Um, PL, you've struck a great balance where you are taking what you love about reading and blogging and making that part of your marketing because uh, people that you review books for are then going to go and say, well, this guy's had such great things to say about about my work. He must have done something really good as well. I'm going to check out what he does. And so there is that bounce that as indie authors, you want to support other indie people, that there, there is give and take, there's push and pull. Um, and so um, like on my Instagram, I, I try to go out of my way to highlight people's uh, book anniversaries or their book birthdays, their sales, things like that, that uh, trying to get people that follow me as much content for other authors as I possibly can in addition to what I do myself. Because it's a, no matter how well, if I was Brandon Sanderson, I could write enough to satisfy everyone, but I'm not, I don't write as quickly as Brandon Sanderson does. So my job is to uplift other people that write similar stuff that my followers are going to enjoy. So spread the love around. I think that's the, the biggest part of social media for indies. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you there, but you know, you have to be careful because it can be a, a black hole. I mean, you can get in there and, you know, and like you said, you know, productivity wise, I mean, you know, I don't have that much time to just sit down and write. Um, I have a lot of other obligations and everything. And so I, I find that I have to just turn it all off and push it aside. If I, if I'm sitting here with two screens in front of me and one of them has Twitter up and one of them has my, my manuscript up, guess which one I'm going to end up spending more time on. It's I'm going to be staring at Twitter and, and chatting with people and looking, you know, looking at what meme someone put out or whatever, you know, so, um, so I have to completely turn it off or, or else, uh, you know, I just, I just can't get into a flow, uh, writing wise. So, so yeah, I think segmenting is, is very important and, and yeah, you almost have to kind of run it like a business where you have time for marketing, time for writing, time for, and, and you have to keep those, you know, kind of, uh, segmented and, and balanced in an appropriate, you know, level. So. Yeah. And that takes discipline and that takes a regimen and, you know, uh, fortunately, I think for most of us as, as as booktubers, as writers, we can do that pretty well. You know what I mean? We, we do it, I believe, fairly well, considering the things that we have to deal with, especially as indies, because we don't have these, we don't have the, the power of a big traditional house behind us to take care of, of, of a lot of things. Although I would argue that increasingly um, traditional published authors, traditionally published authors, having more and more downloaded on them in terms of the marketing and the, and the promotion like like it, it just seems that you know um that is changing oh philip's saying bye yep see you philip, bye, philip. thanks for coming thanks for joining um yeah I, I feel that 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 the gap that gap is narrowing in terms of you know what indies have to put in and contribute versus um you know trad authors so perhaps you obviously have an opinion folks but yeah, I'd love to hear that. Uh, Lana says, you're really good at doing that, Christopher, and also having such a blast in IFA. Oh, thank you. So glad you're enjoying the group. And we did have a question from uh, Brandy, who's just a few rooms <laughs> over. Uh, Christopher and Jeff, when you talk about support of other indie authors, what are some of your favorite indie reads this year from other authors? Um, I can take that one first. Sure, go ahead. Uh, so I'll go ahead and do three. So first one is going to be Where Shadows Lie by Allegra Pescatore. Um, she and I are working on some co-author stuff together. So um, she's somebody that I have a close relationship with. But her first book is an epic fantasy that takes a lot of your standard tropes of a court intrigue uh, story and flips them on their heads. Um, for example, in the prologue, you and this isn't spoilers because she talks about it on the back of the book, you lose the chosen one that was supposed to solve everything. Chosen one's gone. And then the, the, everybody else has to pick up pieces from there. Um, a lot of diversity, a lot of great characters, um, even a disabled protagonist. Um, Allegra has um, problems with uh, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And so she brings a lot of that into her characters. So if you're looking for a great diversity read that is going to be from the perspective of somebody that has experienced these things themselves, Where Shadows Lie is going to be great for you. Um, the second one is going to be Of Darkness and Light by Ryan Cahill. A lot of people talk about that. Um, ended with an incredible battle sequence that I thought was as powerful as many of Brandon Sanderson's battle moments. So he's definitely striking a chord with the right audiences. Um, that's going to be great. Um, his series is Of the... of was it the bound and the broken and so book one is of blood and fire and i'm talking about book two which i just finished on audiobook and then another one that i just started is gunmetal gods by zamil akhtar and then he's also in the writing group that uh jeff and i have recently formed 
And he has, it's essentially a Middle Eastern fantasy. It is a fictional version of the Crusades. And I am only a couple chapters in, but what I love about his work is that he does not waste a single sentence. That there is world building, there is character growth, there is some sort of development in every single word that he books, puts to page. I have not been bored for a second. So that's another great one. Um, even Daniel Green, so big in the booktuber universe, picked up Gunmetal Gods and loved it. So any of those three, you're not going to go wrong with. Yeah, and I'd just add to that, um, you know, Zach Argyle, his Threadlight series, uh, you know, I'm really enjoying that. He has book three coming out soon. So um, I'm wrapping up Stones of Light right now, getting ready for that. And um, uh, Jonathan Navarre writes science fiction stuff. He's a fantastic guy and an amazing author, um, really good indie author. So uh, really enjoyed both of their work recently. Yeah, but all on the, what I haven't read on the TBR, I'm not sure if uh, Christopher, you and Jeff, Jeff have watched any of on Steve's channel. Uh, Steve, myself, uh, Lana from Lower Low Advice, who's popped in, Taylor from Made Between the Pages, another amazing blogger, and Zamil himself. We've had some uh, wonderful sessions together, deep diving into Zamil's uh, books to date. And so, so I recommend you watch that fascinating stuff. Um, looks like Brandy's loving Gunmetal Gods. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, he he is a phenomenal author. Ryan Cahill, again, you know, and and I think with Ryan, what he's doing in the marketing side and in the promotion side is something that, I, I mean, other than your Will White's, you know, like I, I haven't mm -hmm. seen that yet of indies in my limited experience. So he's really taking the indie world by storm in terms of the sales and the marketing and the promotion and uh compelling writing obviously i have his, his novella i'll be reading that uh, in august uh, uh which one the fall or the, the fall the, okay. i believe yeah, the first yeah the fall mm -hmm. the fall so um uh but yeah like just outstanding jonathan there i have his 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 book it's sci-fi i believe i have that yeah, i already have it at queued up for some point this year as well zach argyle i mean you know i've said that zach argyle has um um you know brandon sanderson ceiling uh if he if he that's i know that's a huge but I, i'm serious the guy is he's talented man he's talented he's really talented so um you know but yeah so many great um you know indie authors out there that that you know are just they're 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 they're, they're, they're blowing it up man they're blowing it up and that includes you too and you know uh you know no no don't sleep on uh on christopher russell or, or just fate that's uh you know they're two definitely the the writers to watch and um you know i i'd like to pride myself now and you know i i my readings become a lot more selective and i'm starting to buy those authors that you just know they're going to be five stars so that's why i picked up both your books because you just know right uh you hear enough you you know what i mean you you just know so i appreciate you know, that pl yeah and same goes for you i mean you're 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 taking the world by storm right now also Thank you. I wouldn't. Thank you. I wouldn't say that, but but thank you for the kind words. I I appreciate. I appreciate that. And uh, you know, you were both mentioning part of part of uh, a lot. To be honest with you, uh, a lot of what's been happening now, exposure wise, I I owe to Steve from doing page chewing. So uh, like as as he's shaking as, his head. Yeah, <laughs> you know, as as Christopher and Jeff had both implied, it's a very symbiotic thing when it comes to you know you're giving back, but then you're also you know, you're also getting out of it so much, right? And, you know, again, you know, 
again, I, I, I try to say as much as possible. Kudos to Steve for inviting me to be, um, you know, his co-host. I'm extremely honored. And, you know, it's it's not every day you get to do something like that. It's his channel. You know, like I said, I just show up and, you know, have fun. And he does all the hard work, the editing and and all this stuff. And, you know, so uh, it's pretty cool, uh, you know. So, you know, it's but it's worked out really well. I think we've had a lot of fun. Um, you know, we've... Uh, <laughs> A round of applause for Steve and all the hard work he puts in. Yes, yes. Uh, a round of applause for Steve. He is way too much. Steve, are you taking your royalty? (laughs) (laughs) The check is in the mail. (laughs) He takes takes his payment in exposure, just like everybody in Hollywood. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Jeff and uh, Christopher, I was curious, what's your approaches to world building? How How do you build a world from the ground up? What's your, what are some of the strategies you use when you're, starting a world down the rabbit hole we go yeah this, this, <laughs> this could take a while um you know for me you know palette and unbound i mean this probably won't surprise a lot of people but you know evilium started off as a, a setting for a DD campaign that i created uh to teach my kids actually how to play DD, which is a game that i love for pretty much my whole life and um you know i i way overbuilt for what they needed at their age for sure. Um, you know, and, and the campaign lasted like, you know, three or four sessions and then they wanted to go on and build new characters and do a new place and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, wait a second, I spent all this time, you know, building this world for you guys. And, um, you know, and they were, they were ready to move on. And so I wasn't. And so I took some of the, uh, characters that I had developed the NPCs for that. And, and I kind of dove into it and, uh, and, um, you know, started writing Paladin Unbound, which I never thought I was going to publish when I started writing. I was just writing it for fun. I did not have, um, you know, the aspirations of becoming a published author or whatever. It was was not my initial intent. But as far as the world building goes, you know, I I think it just starts off with, um, you know, for me, the very physical aspects of the world that you're you're putting in place, how that would affect life there. um, you know, how, how magic would work in a world if there is magic, um, how a pantheon would impact the world. And, you know, are you talking about polytheistic, uh, you know, society or monotheistic or, or something else? Um, and all those things start kind of, uh, you know, forming what the world is going to be like for the characters to, you know, experience and how that's going to shape them as individuals and how it's going to shape society and everything. Are, are there kingdoms or democracies or, or, or whatever, you know, all the, all the politics and everything you have to take it all into account as you're building a world, even though 90% of that stuff is never going to be read by the author, by the, by the reader or anything. I mean, it's, you know, I've got stuff like how do the phases of the moon work, you know, mm-hmm. around my planet and stuff like that. And, you know, and what, what number planet am I in the solar system that I'm working on right now? All that stuff that you're, you're, you as the reader are probably never going to see, but it all goes into, you know, kind of the backdrop of building a real world for the characters to live in. So that's kind of how I start off. Thank okay. you. So I have a similarly fun story. And so I'll start with the end product. I just happen to have this laying around, of course, because I go to a lot of book conventions and stuff. So this hmm. is the current world map for Lazaria, which is the world of Divinity's Twilight. And I see- Oh, that's gorgeous. Oh my gosh. Thank you. This was done by a guy called Scare Scott Photography, Cartography. 
and he's on Instagram. Um, he did uh, Ryan Cahill's map for Ophiria. So you've probably seen something similar for that. But so that is the end product. The original product was a doodle on the back of a second year thermodynamics lecture handout at uh, my engineering classes at the University of Virginia. So this was uh, uh, 13 years ago now. And I was bored and I flipped it over, doodled this map, and all of my books, everything spawned off of that. So I started with the geography. And I took that and I went, well, if you have this geography, how would a bunch of different nations interact on it? Um, the mountain ranges that are impassable to airships in this world that force them to go through narrow different channels where uh, people can place fortresses, where you can block armies, where you can stall trade. Uh, what would the rivers have been used for? The lakes. Um, why would a city have been able to survive in a desert? What, how did they pump water up from deep underground? All these different things. So I started very much with a focus on geography. And then like Jeff said, it's a question with magic. Well, in my world, people are very reliant on crystals that they draw energy out of essentially like nuclear decay, again, bringing in my engineering background. And because of this, technology has gone in very disparate ways, that you have these airships that are able to float because of the energies these crystals give off. But at the same time, you have people still walking around with chain mail and bolt-action rifles and different things where the technology hasn't quite caught up to what magic is capable of doing. And you have all these interesting anachronistic questions um, that if you're able to fly well, now that you're able to fly, you can project power, that, that um, your that horseback falls away, that uh, maybe you still have Drake or Dragon Cavalry or things like that. But a lot of things get left in the dust. Um, you stop using wagons, you stop using carriages, you start looking for other means and modes of transportation. And I think that that is the, the best approach to world building, um, that you go, I have, um, I've made change A, what things are going to spiral off of it? How are the dominoes are going to fall? Uh, what Jeff mentioned was um, the iceberg theory of uh, world building, essentially, that the reader is ever going ever the reader is only ever going to see the tip of the iceberg that sticks above water. Everything else that you've done below the water, they don't need to know, or perhaps you don't even need to world build, which is where you start to get a hollow iceberg, where you've only done this outer portion, where you have to convince the reader that the entire iceberg is there. Um, because you can world build forever. Um, I'm sure that all of you know this, that you can spend, uh, Tolkien spent decades on creating Elvish and all these different things before he ever wrote a world of The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings, etc. But in today, authors are expected to have a book out. Um, in, in traditional, you're expected to have a book out every year to two years. In indie, they want you to have a book out every three to six months, which I, I think that all of us are probably six months to a year on our release schedules for big epic fantasies. So you have to take a more direct approach. Um, I call it world build as you go. That if you need something, you world build it. And originally I was very um, uh, much more of a pantser. Now I'm more of a plotter and I do more of it up front. But there, there are different approaches to, to, to get to the same place. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's, that's fascinating. I'm sorry, Steve. You, you, uh, oh, that's no, uh, Chris says both of these approaches are fascinating. Uh, you can see the genesis as well as the impact on how the story is told. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I would I would definitely, and, and those are the, both very insightful comments from <clears throat> Christopher and Jeff, and very accurate. I think I think as authors, we, I think we've all been there where, yeah, we would just, there's days where instead of writing, I would just, I would love to just world this all day long, right? You know, you know what I mean, guys, right? Like, you, literally, you can sit there writing appendices and creating more maps and detailing the maps already, like, but, but, and, and to the point of distraction, 
uh, utter distraction, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 I, I think now, as Christopher said, I've become a lot more strategic in terms of how I do it. And because in in my writing, I'm exposing the reader to the world incrementally every book at a time, growing out from the initial uh, smaller smaller world and expanding from there. That yeah, it's it's it's. I think that you know, left to our own devices, um, we would be writing three thousand page novels full of you know <laughs> descriptions and exposition about mm-hmm. you know the most obscure place in our world that you know really might not matter the plot, but you know, and we have to force ourselves uh, oftentimes to okay, mm. you know, call wait, that wait, time which out. is a skill you develop as an author. What is or isn't necessary. Um, it's why uh, I think that every author gets better after their debut book. I, yes. I, I think that my, my sequel's better than my debut. Um, I'm sure Jeff feels the same way, PL. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Without, without question, you hit the nail on the head. Um, I think if we're not striving for continuous improvement as authors, then what are we doing here? Uh, certainly our readers are going to catch on if we're not. <laughs> and, you know, our, our, our sales and reviews are going to reflect that. Um, you know, but, but, but I, I, I just... Uh, and I'm not here to get on a soapbook box, sorry, but I want to give a note of encouragement to every author out there, especially the ones who haven't published a book yet, but they're going to, uh, you do get better, um, you know, and, and you do improve and, you know, uh, and not, and beyond that, that every single <laughs> author, oh, <laughs> better late not than never, true. <laughs> better late than never, bro. Oh, um, Andrew's wizardly reads. A wizard is never. Uh, never yes, he's always, always on, time. on time. He rides. <laughs> I see when he intends to. <laughs> oh, with the, oh, you were being cuckoos with the kids, eh? Yeah, okay. that's a good excuse. Okay. Yeah, Did you like bring any one. for the class? Yeah. We'll let you slide this time. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. That that every famous author, for the most part, got better at with their next books. If you look back at the first books of of many. Uh, very well-known author, they would tell you that their first books were not very good, uh, ir- irrespective of whether they sold like like hotcakes. Um, you know, so that's, that's if you know, take comfort in that. Uh, authors who haven't published that, you know, yep, you learn to your craft. To give you an extra injection of hope, the Elantris was book number 13 for Brandon Sanderson. Hmm. Wow. And, 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 and when you look at... Uh, someone like Sanderson in particular, who's, and I haven't read, to be honest with you, I've only read snippets of his work and I'm planning to, uh, you know, uh, do a lot more uh, Sanderson reading uh, in the future. I have, you know, six or seven of his books on my shelves that I haven't read and it's it's time, um, you know, uh, for many reasons. But, um, you know, when you look at his evolution and how many books he's read and how many um, iterations you can say of Brandon Sanderson, have 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 gone since he first started writing, um, you know. I think again, we can all take comfort in that if we have a prolific career, um, you know, we may feel like a completely different writer by the time we're finished, um, you know, writing our books, and you know, uh, and that's not a bad thing, right? Evolution and growth and changes is a good thing, um, you know. And 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 I I think that. Um, I think we, the three of us that are writers, especially, would agree. And for Steve, who's a reader, who you've read, you know, the first books of of series and, and other writers, and what that 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 improvement is also a process that comes with some pain sometimes, and you might have to, 
sacrifice some of the things that you might think are really your strengths in terms of your work. Not always, but and you might have to give up some subplots that you thought was really cool and oh, I got to toss it out and get rid of some characters that are dear to you that ah, that doesn't work. And you know, and you know, but but at the end of the day, I think the product is going to benefit uh, from that. And so will, of course, you and your reputation. Uh, beta writing. readers and editors are your friends. I was just going to say that, Christopher. I mean, it's. Oh, I think oh sorry. For, I take it back. <laughs> especially for a, uh, especially for for a, a new indie author. I mean, it's it's so easy to think that your book is ready to go and just throw it out there. But if you don't have objective third party eyes on it beforehand, you can get yourself into some trouble. It's you. It's it's nice to share it with your friends and family and stuff like that. Odds are they're not going to give you the criticism you need uh, to tighten up a book, you know, to get it ready for the public. So um, getting it out there to to objective third parties is really important. It's not easy when it's your first time particularly, but but it's important. Yeah, and it is very hard um, to see your baby, uh, you know, take take those shots, right? Um, you know, and, and that's that dichotomy of being an author. You you want people to read your book as many pieces as possible, but you also don't want them to say bad things about it. But that's necessary to help you improve. But at the same time, it's so, you know, just like you send your kid to school, you want it to be the most popular kid. You want it to be liked. You want it to be, you know, um, you know, in the eyes of others, uh, perfect. And, you know, obviously that's not going to happen, but that is part of the maturation process. Uh, for yourself and your your child, and it's the same with writing. Um, so, you know, and that's a hard, hard thing to accept at first. That first negative review is going to drive a stake right down the middle of your heart. <laughs> uh, you're going to get one and two stars reviews. The only thing you can hope for is that they're entertaining enough to be turned into Amazon ad copy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I mentioned it before, and obviously, and uh, we've talked about this, uh, Steve and I and, and some others on various podcasts that, you know, um, the, and of course, he has the latitude to do this because of who he is. I love what Joe Abercrombie does with his negative reviews. Mm-hmm. He posts one starts, and he just, like, it's it's hilarious. Like, and of course, because he's Joe Abercrombie, a one-star review is not going to hurt him, right? Yeah. A thousand one-star reviews is not going to hurt him. So, um, you know, I love the fact that he can... You know, he's in a business where I love seeing someone who's in a business, they can make fun of it to the degree where, for example, us as, as indie authors at first, you know, that's not how you're feeling, right? But mm-hmm. you know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, Every I mean? one where, of those is a deep wound. Yes. <laughs> well, and you know, when you only have 20 or 30 reviews out there or something, you know, it doesn't take much to, to ruin your score. And it could be, you know, uh, the reasons you can get a one or two star review, you don't always feel like, you know, it's necessarily deserving of that. Um, I don't begrudge anyone for not liking my book or for having different tastes or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, but some of them you're just like, really, you, you had to go, you had to go one star, and you know, and it, and it can really, it can really hurt a, a debut novel if you, if that happens too early. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brandy does have a question. Is your writing your day job or do you both have other careers alongside writing? So I'm in the fortunate position where I can devote probably about half of my day to each. I teach virtually for the university that I went to, uh, University of Virginia. I teach engineering courses. 
And so I'm uh, right now I'm teaching summer classes. I have 15 students and I meet with them an hour and a half each day. And then after that, I answer their emails. I prep for different things. And I also uh, tutor students in uh, various math courses um, in the afternoon if I have them. But because of that, I'm able to dedicate a lot more time to writing than if I was in an office. So um, as you can see around me, this is my office. It's a little bit messier than it really should be. But uh, the bookshelf's in the right place. The dragon's in the right place over here. Yes. So that, that's all that really matters. But uh, yes, fortunate position to be able to dedicate um, uh, pro probably a little bit more to the day job than to writing, but still a lot of writing time. Yeah, and I, um, I'm a professional investor. I, I'm a portfolio manager for an investment firm, and that takes up an inordinate amount of time. Um, and so basically, I get to write late at night after my kids are in bed if I'm not too tired. Or on the weekends when I say, hey, other dads are golfing. I'm going to lock myself in my office. <laughs> um, you know, those, those are my opportunities. So uh, fairly limited amount of time uh, writing-wise. Uh, I have furry children. I have six crazy Shelties. I don't have actual children. But once you get to six crazy Shelties, they take, they, they they take up almost as much time as living, breathing flesh children. They're no, kids. No. <laughs> babies are kids. Not human children. They are, they are flesh children. <laughs> <laughs> and for for both of you who have been your biggest supporters through your writing journey well that's a good question um i mean my my immediate family you know, my wife who's you know kind of put up with this crazy thing that i started doing that is taking up way more time than she ever expected it would <laughs> um you know she's she's the first person to read everything i write um she does give objective advice um and, and input so uh sometimes i have to watch out for that um, but, she, but she's been fantastic. And then, um, both my sisters and, and, you know, and all that have been really big supporters of, uh, my work as well. And, um, you know, my, my mother's read it. Uh, she, she never read a fantasy novel in her life and, you know, she read Paladin Unbound and, you know, didn't even give me a hard time for the, for the violent scenes or anything like that. So, you know, it's, it's all good. I've, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of support from my, from my family. Uh, same way over here, my, my family, uh, my father uh, originally read Aragon. He was did a little bit more fancy, a little bit of George R. R. Martin back in the day, but doesn't read too much. Um, was able to get him into it. Um, he was in the he retires a colonel in the U.S. Army, so uh, he has a lot of expertise on logistics, on military tactics and strategy, and so he was able to vet the novel for that. My mother um, is probably responsible for getting me into writing in the first place. She was an English teacher, uh, recently retired two or three years ago. And so she went through, she's able to do almost an, an editorial style pass because of all her, her experience. But again, never read a fantasy novel like, like Jeff's mom. Um, still went through, read all the violent scenes. Um, got, got a little on my case for a fade to black sex scene in book two, but <laughs> we, we, we won't get into that. No, no, they, 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 not really showing anything. And she's just giving me a hard time. But after that, um, Allegra Pescatore, who I'm working on co-authoring stuff, another great person did a lot of beta reading for me. Um, her group, which is uh, the Plot Mom Discord that you can go and join if you're into Discord. Um, indie Fantasy Addicts, and then just spreading out from there, all the different people in that group. Um, all the great admins, uh, Rachel Kuhlman, uh, Andy Peliquin, um, which is uh, Dark Blade Assassin, then Rachel Kuhlman is um, Inked, and then uh, the Lightning Conjurer, if you've read any of those. Um, Angel Hayes, and a, bun a bunch of other great people. So uh, have a great community over there. And are there any methods that both of you both of you use to select beta readers? 
Hmm. Christopher, you have thoughts on that? I got to think a little bit on that. I was going to say that um, you're trying to find people that read in your same genre, but Hmm. that are, I would say, your goal is to find people that are one to two steps removed from you, that you can use the same people again, um, but you typically want those to be authors because authors understand what they're doing as opposed to a, a reader. A reader, after one or two books that they really enjoy, is going to start giving you passes for things that they are going to think that you must have a reason for making this mistake or that it's going to be answered later or perhaps you were lampshading this detail and they'll keep going through the book and love it anyway. And so um, this isn't exactly what Steve asked, but I will say that you want some turnover in your beta core outside of what we would call like alpha readers. I would refer to alpha readers as more professionals. Like if I was to ask PL or Jeff to read my book or even Steve, because Steve has had a lot of experience. Oh, you know, he's shaking his head. No, no. Steve, you're a booktuber. You've had a lot of experience. You know what you like. You know why you like it. And that is an extremely valuable skill. And a lot of our listeners are also going to have that same skill. Um, that, that, that skill is what allows you to eventually be an editor if you want to be an editor or to be somebody that's um, a critic for big book awards or something like that. Um, so um, like I said, people that are maybe one to two degrees removed from you, they can be friends, but maybe haven't read it before or, or don't necessarily read that kind of work. People that um, do read your genre. So if you're an epic fantasy writer, epic fantasy, if you're a romantic fantasy, romantic fantasy readers because they know what works and the tropes. And then you want people that are, I'd say, semi-professionals or professionals. They know exactly the nitty-gritty and can start to pick apart your plot map and the skeleton of it rather than just uh, the surface level, what we'd call the muscle or skin, which is like how you write the chapters and your grammar and syntax. We want them to be, the, the alpha readers to be looking at plot details and the actual development of the book. Yeah, and I'd say diversity is also very important. You don't want to have too many people with the same backgrounds because they'll give you the same replies to every, everything. Similar things will work for them. Similar things won't work for them. You want to mix it up so you get a, a variety of feedback from, from people with different you know backgrounds. I think that's really important as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely I, subscribe to that. Sorry, go ahead, Christopher. Oh, I was just going to say that brings up another interesting point: uh, sensitivity readers, because their um, content warnings are becoming a big things, and you can put a lot of different stuff in your content warning to try to avoid those bad reviews from people that may not gel with. If you have gore, if you have torture, if you have steam, various other by steam, I don't mean steampunk; I mean like uh, <laughs> sex scenes or things like that. But the general term for that is steam. Uh, but so content warrants can help you there, but you can also have sensitivity rears that are going to go in and check on, well, how are you dealing with uh, disabilities or ethnic groups or things like that, that you, it, you want that diversity that Jeff mentioned to make sure that you as an author aren't tripping yourself up on something that you could have very easily fixed. Yeah, I would strongly recommend, um, <laughs> you know, uh, sensitivity readers. Uh, especially in the environment of 2022. Um, and particularly if your books have any themes that, um, you know, could be considered, you know, uh, disturbing and or uh, potentially controversial, um, you know, because, and as an indie author, it's really important to remember that, you know, um, your reputation is very finite. Uh, you know, you, you really, really, really uh, have to be careful, especially starting out, uh, but I'm not just saying starting, but at any point in your career about uh, how you're perceived in terms of your image and uh, how you're presenting things. It doesn't mean you can't write about about 
uh, difficult topics. It doesn't mean you should avoid them. It just means that as 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 uh, Christopher has mentioned, especially with sensitivity readers, that they can definitely be uh, an asset in terms of making sure that uh, readers will um, say, well, you know what, Christopher, Jeff, Paul, you approach that with a plum, uh, and you 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 know you handle that sensitively. You you know you made an effort to you know be fair and objective and balanced and you know present you know all sides and 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 present um, a certain perspective from the eyes of the group that or persons that you're you're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. So that is uh, becoming more and more of a key uh, to writing, especially in in this. In this century so uh. and just to have a comment nice alduin statue for the collector's edition of skyrim behind jeff yep i see it up there <laughs> nice yeah. yeah that's my uh that's on top of my uh, D, D mini cabinet over there so it's oh ne next time we're on we'll have to do the tour of the cabinet i want to see All right. yeah we'll do that next time yeah yeah we got to see the tour oh. uh steam or steam. spice level yeah, yeah spice is another one yeah, yeah. Yeah, a great, great alternative. So, what uh, what what goes through your minds when you're writing spicy scenes? What what do you try to take into consideration when you're writing those types of scenes? Well, I can honestly tell you, Paladin Unbound doesn't have any spicy scenes in it. Um, it it and not because I was scared to write them. It's because, to be honest, it it didn't really fit with with Umar, the character, the main character. It's just not on his radar at all. So it's not. It didn't feel appropriate to just jam in some random you know, scene like that for the sake of doing it. So um, I really do not have that much experience in writing those kind of scenes. So I'm, I'm going to pass it to Christopher, who apparently, you know, offended his mom. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, I'm not some expert at it. No. Uh, Devane's Twilight Rebirth. So the first book in the Venus Twilight series doesn't have any of that. There is light romance. There are characters drifting closer to each other. But there, there is nothing that actually there's no payoff. Um, so book two, there's a little bit of payoff, uh, mainly fade to black or what I, I, I've come to call fade from black, like people waking up in the morning. Um, and so with those, I'd say that it's uh, the focus should always be character development because yeah. you can write erotica, you can write steam, but in, especially in epic fantasy, it needs to be doing something for the characters. Um, is this improving their relationship? Is this helping a character overcome their depression? Are they, they breaking out of their shell? Um, is this cementing an alliance between two people? Is, is there some sort of reason for this? And that um, a lot of readers, uh, that you're, you're going to end up with a disconnect. Some people don't want any of that. Some people want more of that. And so you can find a middle ground where, uh, especially for me, where I'm not really showing much, but that I'm focusing more on those details that are going to appeal to all readers, that they want to know about these characters and how they feel their emotions and who they are as human beings. Or in my case, there's seven different races. So who they are as mortals, as people that exist on a plane. <laughs> I don't <laughs> something along those lines. We all use human beings, though, in our world. And, and I would add that, you know, um, there exists so many subgenres now within every like you can have fantasy romance. I'm about to read, um, after my current read, I'm going to read uh, Rain and Ruin, which was the reigning mm -hmm. SBF. Congratulations to her, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Give it up for, for, for J.D. Evans, who we're going to have on the show at some point. Um, you know, that, that if you want to read more romance, you can actually read a fantasy romance or mystery romance or, you know, pick your genre. Mm -hmm. that there's a, you know, um, you know, and, and I do write some 
you know, some esteem or heat in my books. Not a lot, especially not in Drown Kingdom, like basically, mm-hmm. you know, one scene. But again, I feel germane to the plot and as as Christopher alluded, the evolution of the characters and, and development, things like that. And there is more kind of semi-progressively and to a certain degree in, in as the books as the series continues but then there's some books that really ha- don't have a lot because again it doesn't it doesn't figure into moving uh things forward so however you know i will say and i've said this before that i am a romance fan and i do love it as a genre on its own and i feel that a romance and, and sex is definitely part of life it's 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 part of realism and if you're writing you know fantasy you don't have to be graphic mm-hmm. you don't have to include it all however it is part of life so you know, if you if you depict it, uh, there's there's and you, if you, even if you depict it, you know, a bit more explicitly, there's nothing wrong as long as your audience, as mm-hmm. Christopher said, understands why it's there, uh, what the purpose is, and you know uh, what you're trying to do with that. Um, you know, but I will say definitely in fantasy. I mean, as evidenced by especially last SBFBO, you had uh, Christopher Charling's The Bright Watch, uh, amazing book. Wow incredible book that finished second as well uh behind jd evans you know i mean you know as much as you know i i think uh the the perception was that perhaps um fantasy readers typically epic fantasies didn't want a lot of romance in their books well mm-hmm. i think there's some books recently that do well that are, are kind uh, of both you know, those are on my tbr i'm excited to get to them yeah and we should do a buddy read for uh rain and ruin oh yeah rain and ruin is, is um it's coming up i'm reading i'm currently reading um uh wow it's 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 good but it damn is it dark i'm reading the the darkness that comes before i blame steve sorry he's over there i blame steve it's steve and people like uh books with zara that have got me into this this dark yeah this dark kick uh where is it yeah my version is the the paperback Ooh. it's incredible uh dark as all get out but but yeah incredible but uh, yeah, so so I've been on this dark kick recently, Malazan, the first book. Mm-hmm. So I felt it was a good time to kind of palate cleanse a little bit with some with some fantasy romance um, for my next read. So I'm going to read uh, probably, I might finish this book by the end of the week and start JD's book on the weekend. So if you're, uh, DM me, Chris, if you're, if you're thinking of picking it up in the next little Absolutely. while. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 uh, we want to respect your time because you know you're busy. You know, we, you know, we're so grateful that you, you, you came on the show to have you know two wonderful authors and human beings. I haven't had the opportunity uh, to get to know uh, both of you as much as I'd like to. However, I have had the honor of being, like I said, in writing sprints uh, with you guys. I think Christopher or Jeff had mentioned that, and and just get you know, you guys are awesome. You guys are great people. So you know, besides being oh, we great, love right, hanging out with you. Yeah, you guys are yeah, awesome. Literally anytime, uh, you know, anytime. And whether it's writing sprints or doing something like this, always happy to connect. Mm-hmm. I did yeah. have a, I did have one more question for both of you. And I, yeah. I already asked PL this question, but I'd like to try and ask this of all the guests is what was your first job? My first job um, was blowing up balloons for parties for my mom's <laughs> friend. And, I, and she had this little tiny office. And she took orders and I'd come in like on a Saturday morning and they'd just be like taped to the wall. And I would sit in this little tiny closet just with a with the helium tank and the balloons just for hours on end. And that was that was my very first job. And, um, you know, uh, I still still have, uh, you know, fond memories of, of all those fun times there. So I have to follow that. That's, yep, that's an incredible go. first job. 
That's a great oh, okay, so so the first thing I got paid for was actually teaching Taekwondo. Um, that I haven't uh, taught in a couple years, but I'm a third degree black belt in Taekwondo. And so I used to teach that uh, through high school and college. Mm -hmm. So anywhere from we had our this was uh, ATA, the American Taekwondo Association. And so we had tiny tigers that were three to five and then all the way up through adults. And so tiny tigers doing very basic stuff and you're mostly just corralling them trying to make sure they don't hurt themselves <laughs> and other people and then up to adults which are, are a little more fun to work with you can do a lot of cool stuff with them on sparring and forms and things like that and self-defense no well, those are two great jobs and, and jeff how many times did you inhale the helium and talk <laughs> <laughs> you know when you're when you're uh, a very early teenager sitting in by yourself all that time you, you can't help but do it a few times a day. <laughs> Can you do a, a high-pitched impression for us? Uh, or do you need so. the helium? You need the helium. Yeah, I don't okay. think so. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, as we're wrapping up, um, can you both please tell us, um, you know, where to get a hold of you, what your preferred social media platforms are, uh, about websites, where we can buy your books? Um, yes, Laura. Yes, Lana, I want to read Rain and Ruin. That's next. So maybe it can be three-way, buddy, Reed. Um, thank you, Brandy. Yeah, thank you. But uh, yeah, so tell us more about yeah. uh, where to get a hold of you, so preferred social media platforms, where to buy your books, uh, et cetera. Yeah, so I'm I'm on Twitter like all the time and you know um, <laughs> uh, usually accessible there at Jeff Spate. Um, a little bit on Instagram at Jeff SP8. Um, my book is available, you know, on Amazon. It's actually still free for a few more hours, uh, the mm. ebook on Amazon to uh, because I put it up to celebrate the one-year anniversary, Paladin Unbound. Um, so it's still there for the time being. Um, you can buy signed copies on my website, uh, jeffreyspate.com, and uh, you know, pretty much available everywhere else. So. Okay. And again, Christopher Russell. This is the first book in my Divinity's Twilight series, Divinity's Twilight, Divinity's Twilight Rebirth. I like to call it a cross between Lord of the Rings and Star Wars. So if steampunk fantasy and a bunch of action and adventure is your things, be sure to check it out. You can find me at all the same social media platforms that Jeff mentioned. Uh, my Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook are very similar. It's going to be Christopher underscore author underscore uh, Christopher underscore Russell underscore author. Um, you'll be able to find all the links on my website, which is simply ChristopherRussellAuthor.com. And if you want signed copies, it's going to be a lot cheaper to go through me on my website rather than going through Amazon or Barnes & Noble or another platform. And like Jeff, I have a, a summer event going on. The first book in the Venus Twilight series is 99 cents in advance of book two, which is coming out September 14th, which happens to be my birthday. So it's going to be an awesome day. Oh, nice. Awesome. Fantastic. Nice. Congratulations. That's Thank uh, you. It's going to be reading a lot of uh, Christopher Russell, Russell and Jeff Spate in the future. Yes. So awesome. Get, get those first books and we'll, we'll all swap books because I have to read Drowned Kingdom too. Oh, I'll be honest. Yes. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Steve, where do you prowl and uh, and hang out? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm on Twitter at Steve Talks Books. Uh, I'm also on Vero at that one MFR. <laughs> And I can also be found on uh, pagejoin.com with, uh, you know, we have discussions, we have a calendar there, and all the upcoming episodes can be found there. Uh, it's it's my, I don't have, I don't plan anything personal without checking that calendar. Everything's there, so I don't know what i do without it. So if you want to get in, that's the best place to get in touch with me. Yeah, check out, I'm sorry, but Big Booster Steve, check out Steve's channel. 
besides page chewing he does uh, he has other author interviews he does some amazing deep dives into some fascinating books with lots of <laughs> incredible uh very high profile guests um he does uh you know recaps uh for what he's been reading and doing on the channel um you know you name it this this guy does it so um you know great uh great person to watch and for fantastic content and uh obviously a hell of a nice guy so um I'm P.L. Stewart, so you can find me here with Steve uh, doing uh, page chewing uh, on his channel. Uh, you can also find me uh, on Before We Go blog. That's uh, both Steve and I are members of Before We Go blog, www.beforegoblog.com. Once again, shout out to Beth Tabler, our boss. She's incredible. Uh, that's where you can find my reviews and articles that I post. On my website, www.plstewart.com. That's where you can find out about the Drunk King Saga, uh, books coming out, um, you know, things like that. I also do six elemental interviews. Uh, where I interview creatives, uh, ask them six questions, try to keep it fun and interesting. Christopher and uh, and Jeff obviously are, are on the list, so have to get them on there as well. Um, and uh, Twitter is where I, I I hang out. You know, I definitely uh, I, that's definitely my preferred social media platform. Yeah, I have Instagram and Facebook, but you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm I'll be trolling on Twitter most of the time. So yeah, yeah, find me on Twitter. Nice. Cool, everyone. Well, thanks to all of you for taking time out of your day to hang out with us and just kind of shoot the breeze. We really appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. It thank was a blast. Yeah, thank you. You guys are putting out great content. You, you jammed a lot into uh, the last month or so, so uh, appreciate <laughs> you making room for us. Yeah, this is uh, this is just as uh, juicy uh, July where it's bursting <laughs> with talent. So, uh, you know, it's only fitting we have you guys on. And uh, yeah, with uh, thanks to Steve again. For... First and greatest, right? Well, cool. And thanks everyone who came to hang out in the chat. It's always great when we have interaction and some fun questions and comments. It's always appreciated. So we will see everybody next time.